Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. the flagship show of the tbp network i'm your first host marcello and i'm host number two d i don't know if i said the episode number i don't, I don't know if you did either yeah but we're on 247 two, we're, we're two, getting there 247 247 dude on 250 should we just do a drunk episode and push it to the patreon that's what i think we should do i think we should do that too we i think did, we should uh, get lady and I heard that recently from one of my nephews. It apparently means drunk. What is it? Liddy. Wow, it's evolved. Yeah, it's, lit it, has evolved now to Liddy. Pikachu is now Raichu. Yep. So slangs have you, evolved. You don't get lit, you get Liddy. <laughs> um, yeah, let's. Uh, damn, plugging at the end. I'm plugging the shit up top. Patreon. Yeah. We're actually putting some effort into it. We have an exclusive interview coming. Uh, that's that already is recorded. Uh, it's in you know, so now's a good time to visit and support, and we're going to be rolling in the extra content. Absolutely. Maybe Corey. Maybe if you even want to hear Corey, Corey is now Patreon only. He's not on the main show. He's Patreon only. <laughs> is that it? Is that that's why he's not hashing here right it now. out. Is strictly going to Patreon now? <laughs> is that what we're going to do? Um, yeah, no, he's, so, he's still in Brazil. You know we. We um, so there's some things that we wanted to do this year that we did differently than last year, um, and that is grow a community. Actually, focus on growing a community. We mentioned Slack here and there, and it's it's grown over the years to 625 people with about like 80 active people a week, which is really cool. Um, but we want a larger Slack. We want about 1,200 people in there, and that's our goal this year. That's that's not our goal. Yeah, that's our goal. I think we can expect to hit a thousand, but our goal is twelve hundred. So, um, if you're listening to this on a CPU, please go to the BitcoinPodcast.com and slide over and join our Slack. You can do that, um, and we're gonna we're gonna you can you, you join the Slack. You get conversations. You get uh, conspiracy theories in there from time to time. We tend to talk a lot about fruit lately. That got weird, but we do that now. A lot, um, of fruit talk. a lot of fruit talk lately. Honey um, crisp fruit, apples, fruit dragon pictures, fruits, um, owl, owl tori mangoes <laughs> or whatever those were. I'd never seen those before, but um, yeah, just join Slack, join the conversation. I think the coolest thing about the Slack now, Chelo, I think, I don't know what you think is, is that now when people join, other people say welcome. It's not me yeah. or you or Corey. It's like people in the Slack say, "Hey, what's up, man? Hi, where are you from?" So, anyways, Corey's still in Brazil, um, and in Brazil they have nude beaches, so he just may never come back. I don't think he's coming back. I think he's just. I mean, he already works remote. Why would he need to come back? 
Yeah. Would you come back, Cello? If you were in Brazil. You watched Wild on E just like me. Would you come back? I would not. Yeah. You still owe me money, by the way. If I'm if I'm in a if I'm surrounded by uh by girls all day, how important is decentralization? That's the real <laughs> that's, that's the real life question. right now. You owe me money from that bet. Brooke Burke was in Playboy, and I'm never gonna let you live. Oh hey, Wayne. Wayne's here. <laughs> What's up, Wayne? Changing the topic, I hear. Yeah. You made a bet in our teens and he still hasn't paid. Pay what you owe, Cello. I'd love to address that, but our community's here. Yeah. So we dropped some talking points in the Slack shortly before the show. Our apologies it didn't come out like 72 hours before, like typically, but still getting some scheduling things uh, fixed. So I wanted, I, I had to wait before I go into our stuff and be selfish. Wayne, is there anything that happened in crypto this week that you want to talk to? There's so much to choose from, uh, but no, I didn't. I didn't. I just saw the notice, and I'm looking at your talking points. Uh, I didn't have anything on specific. Daniel, Daniel's here as well. Wait, he's he might bust in from that submarine that he usually busts in from. So we're just gonna <laughs> let Daniel listen this week, so we don't blow out anybody's car speakers. If he could find a quiet closet, maybe, and jump in there, Daniel, we'd love to. Instead of because I don't know, man. I don't want to blow people's ears out. So I was uh, I was on the bidet, and I was thinking uh, decentralization, right? Is it a bad word now? People don't know what it means anymore. It's, it seems like it's it's no longer thrown around like uh, you know it's it's no longer thrown around to a point where it's exhausting. It's it's just everyone knows the this huge dream of decentralization that we had isn't really a reality. And so the thing that I was thinking on the bidet is that like we say all the time we say decentralization all the time, but really that pure decentralization isn't a reality. And so if the goxing back in 2014 led to the decentralization of centralized exchanges. What I mean by that is there was just Mt. Gox and there was just BTCE pretty much and maybe like two others. Uh, But right when Gox crashed then you saw Bitstamp, you saw, I think Coinbase had GDAX, you started to see more exchanges pop up because the entire community felt like that single point of failure is no bueno, right? So if the positive of Gox going down was more decentralization amongst the exchanges, then what could be a positive from what caused this bear market, like the toxicity of the ICO craze? Did you just sing toxicity? Every time I say, every time I hear that (laughs) word, I have to say, in your city. (laughs) I like that song. And every time I hear the word toxic, because it comes up a lot now, I think it's like in the vernacular, like, Kids, I was playing Overwatch like two months back, and I was uh, teabagging a guy that I killed. And then the guy on my team was like, "Don't do that, man. That's that's toxic." <laughs> and I was like, "Don't. Why you call me? Is that a thing?" And so kids call each other toxic now when they're being toxic, whatever that means. But oh, yeah, no. so the ICO craze was toxic for crypto. Can can everyone agree? I think. I but I. 
can't agree completely with that. Okay, that is a dis- we have one disagree in the room. We have a uh, JT just joined. JT, hey, what's up, JT? Yo, how's it going? Good. I like the angle Good. that you've chosen here. This is nice yeah. looking looking up angle. This is yeah, well, they'll, they'll like to experiment yeah. by putting their camera at the base of the computer, which is really good for when you're typing, too. You get- yeah. Uh-oh, I think you just muted yourself on accident. It reminds me of the uh, I have the upper hand when uh, yep. Obi-Wan. It reminds me of I, I'm on the uh, higher ground. Yeah, I'm on the higher ground. <laughs> it reminds me of what Captain everything. America saw right before he got Bolo punched by Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> So I think you asked about like six questions, but mostly we've been talking about a uh, system of a down and yeah. uh, teabagging people. <laughs> so anyways, JT, do you agree or disagree that the ICO craze was toxic? Uh, I think it's a tough, I don't think you can really judge it. You know, it happened. I think That's it brought true. some attention to the space. Um, I think it was probably a, you create this, real fluid frictionless way to transfer value it's probably just inevitability uh so i I don't think you can really say it was you know a negative brought in a lot of money it it, you know gave padded some people's pockets we'll see what they do with it um i think it's hard to say it was good or bad you know we're here (laughs) it happened yeah um if any good came from the ico craze it was that now there's new ways to fund things. Maybe that could be a little decentralization of how to fund open source projects. Maybe that's what we found out we can do now. Yeah, and it might have pushed the uh, probably pushed the narrative on getting some real guidance around what the stuff actually is. It definitely steered the narrative towards okay, how are we going to do this the right way? Because you've had a lot of people doing it the wrong way. Um, but then they were asking, well, if we're not going to do it this way, what way should we do it? And everyone else just kind of shrugged and said, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at least now I feel like we're in a lot better spot getting guidance from the regulators and, you know, the people that know what they're talking about in the space and pushing people to get these different states like Wyoming or whatever to pass some sort of, you know, put things down on paper that someone can go read and go, okay, this makes sense. I can go run my business. I can start my business. I can fund my crypto business and not have to worry about going to jail or having to get you know some have something looming over your shoulder for the whole time you're trying to run your business so yeah i would say that would be good if you want to talk about silver linings because if that didn't happen maybe we don't have that information right now because we haven't been pushed to go get it am i making the false assumption that the ico craze caused the crash i guess it depends what you mean by the crash i don't know if it caused I mean, you you can't say it caused a crash without saying it caused the run up. Are you defining crash as eight hundred billion down to a hundred billion from yeah, December seventeenth, twenty seventeen? I'd, I'd consider that I consider that a crash. Not these things that we see nowadays, where there's a five percent drop and people lose their shit. I mean, the <laughs> the total from the tippy top twenty thousand when everyone thought they were going to get their own signed Lamborghini to where we are now where people are like oh, okay like this is what reality feels like again all right let's <laughs> so it seems to me that that the ico what you're calling the ico craze it enabled things that were never enabled before and people took advantage of that it's mm-hmm. not the ico craze that was causing anything it's people 
who used a better, more efficient tool that helped them amplify their own issues, their own greed, their own fear, their own manipulation of people. And the ICO craze was just yet another extremely efficient tool to get funding for a good idea. And, I agree with Wayne. Yeah. yeah. We, so, we, had the, we had the creator of the ICO on our show, and he had good intentions, and it was a good framework. And there are plenty of ICOs that were and still are good intentions, but they get uh, taken over by um, – the ICO itself doesn't take, get taken over, but the mechanism mm -hmm. of funding can be taken over by those who are slick at funding and see this as another way to – whether it be line their pockets, gain control, troll people, whatever their intentions are, this is just a more efficient tool at doing that. So – yeah, I think every ICO out there, except for a small few, have a team behind it that had really good intentions, had a great idea. Yes, they're motivated by most likely profit or prestige or the feeling, the good feeling it is, or hey, this is a really sexy technology. But if you read any of the basis of most of the ICOs, they're a good idea if stood on their own and analyzed and said, yeah, that sounds like it should compete in the marketplace. But mm -hmm. for those who, who bias themselves towards that shouldn't happen or it shouldn't be that way, or we should limit, uh, there could, there should only be one cryptocurrency out there and they're, they're radical on the isolationist front, I think is ignoring the fact that we're the product of evolution of billions of different life forms that finally got to us and the current raft of, of life forms that are here. And if we don't let an evolution happen with currencies, then we're going to get a stunted growth. Mm -hmm. I mean, good intentions are good intentions. I always like the old phrases and they're like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I keep that in the back of my head all the time. And that's what happened here. Like the ICO was great intentions, but now we're in a pretty, pretty, pretty big lull for all of crypto yeah, because well, of it. It's hard to say that things are, are necessarily down. Like a lot of things are down. But what really happened, which was interesting, when you're talking about the $800 billion market cap, the reason things got so crazy is, is you would create, you know, a, a hundred million tokens. And you would sell 10 million of them. You're going to sell 10% in your sale and you make $10 million on that sale. And you get that from Bitcoin or Ether or whatever. But now your 100 million tokens you're going out and saying are worth $100 million, even mm -hmm. though you just pulled in 10 million, you know, the total market cap of your project or whatever is 100 million. Well, guess what? You can take that, 100, that fake 100 million that you just kind of created out of thin air or created off of. 10 million that 10x leverage and you can go start selling those tokens to get some bitcoin some ether yada 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 that puts some upward sell upward mm -hmm. pressure on the price of bitcoin and ether and then you find another project that's going to sell another one tenth of their tokens for 10 million dollars and then create another 100 million dollars that way mm -hmm. so it's just this stuff that had no real basis behind it that was just got levered and levered and levered and created this cycle that just kind of went up and up and up until it popped. And then it brought things that may have real value mm. um, down with it. But I think a lot of the severity of this drop is really just, you know, an, an adjustment 
um, of all that kind of inflation that that didn't really exist. It was just kind of you know built on sand or whatever other analogy you want to use. I think I could have thought of something. You just during that JT, you, you made me think that maybe what was decentralized was the entry points into crypto itself, right? Because and, before yeah, and the funding. Yeah, before it was just Bitcoin, really. If you want to get into crypto, you buy Bitcoin. Now you can buy Bitcoin or buy Ether. And there's Bitcoin Bitcoin to all the cryptocurrency pairs. And there's Ether to all the cryptocurrency pairs. But now we take it from that as like, okay, well, Ether was a single point. Bitcoin was a single point. And now we've got all these stable coins, which I don't even, honestly, I don't even, I understand how they work. I don't understand the end game with them at all, but I understand how they work. But now there's all these different stable coins. Well, there's USDC, there's um, USDT, there is the old, good old, if you like your stable coins old fashioned, there's Tether, <laughs> there's DAI, there's, and these are all different entry points, which kind of flattens how much and what type, like you said, how much and what type of money can come into the system. So maybe that's what was decentralized, the entry points into crypto. Is that the the questions coming out of the drop? What has what may have become more decentralized? Yeah, like what may have become more decentralized? Well, now it's the entry points into crypto that are more decentralized, yeah, right? It was, it's just, entry points into into ideas. VC and accredited investors were the only people who could invest in startups with ICOs. The mm-hmm. the concept of ICO, the concept of a cryptocurrency that's divisible into 18 places, then you all of a sudden have a much wider range of access until it got shut down. And, but that in itself created an adoption because now Joe Schmo can invest in an idea. Whereas before, you know, maybe they could buy a a stock, one piece of Amazon or Apple stock. Well, who's got that much money? Not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You could buy portions of stock. The fees are a little higher than I'd like. And, but and, and, how, and do they know how to do that? Yeah, I, I mean, you can get synthetic exposure on like Robinhood or other apps like that. Hold on now. We don't have those sponsorships. Well, slow down now. Sorry. Slow down. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Shit well, coins, not, not stocks. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Wayne. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it was uh, it was the other person. Oh, his fake last name or her Her I don't know how to say that. Face Odyssey. Uh Are you really buying a stock though? How they do the stocks with the whole Robin Hood? Are you actually owning the stock, or are you owning the concept or the possibility of that stock that's owned by somebody else is owned by somebody else? Yeah. I no. Mean, no. On exactly. Those, you're getting. I said it was a synthetic exposure. So you're just. It's all like cash settled futures, basically. You're. You're just kind of betting on the upside, of it. You're not actually owning anything. But actually, anyone who owns a stock, like you go on E Trade or whatever, you don't actually own it. Own it either. Um, yeah. But that's a great point. So the the counterparty. So there's 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 two counterparty doesn't revolutions. There's there's two revolutions that Space Odyssey just mentioned. That it's the ICO as opposed to stock. The first one is it becomes more accessible because you don't have to be a credit investor. Um, and, and the second part of that is you can buy fractions. 
you really can't buy from I mean, you think you can, and people try to, but the average human cannot. Mm-hmm. And then what the point that was just brought up is if you actually own the ERC-20 token that represents the ICO that you had, and it turns in from uh, into mainnet, you actually own that crypto. That's another benefit that the ICO uh, framework brought to us because mm-hmm. in the stock, you don't, most people do not actually get the stock certificates. It's not a bearer instrument. Kind of break down what ownership is in stocks. You're talking about kind of voting shares. You don't actually, when it comes down to it, even the counterparties don't own the stocks. I forget the name of it, but there's one central party where back in the 70s or 80s, it was just agreed that all like actual ownership, all the stocks are just going to be put in some vault by one company. And then everything else on top of that is just something saying you have rights to that. And it kind of goes all down the line. And by the time it gets in, in anyone else's pocket, you know, I mean, you still get the essence of ownership and that you can, you know, vote in the, you know, if you want to, most people don't. But, you know, when you're talking about, um, you're at least getting that access where if you're using one of these synthetic instruments uh, or uh, mm-hmm. services where you can get exposure to a stock, it's completely different where you're basically just saying, instead of having us dollars, I'd like to, you know, get exposure to, you know, uh, Apple stock until I say I went back into dollars. And really at that time, you're just settling it up, whether it went up or down uh, for how many dollars you get back. There's nothing actually being sent back and forth. Um, so the, the concept of ownership is really just kind of what rights does that give you? Um, transfer rights, voting rights, et cetera, et cetera. But isn't that the problem when there's been issues with companies where they, um, whether they've collapsed or expanded, where they're trying to figure out exactly how many (laughs) stocks have been issued and who owns what. And there's been, I guess, within the last decade, there's been serious issues about how much stocks have been issued out and who owns what and has caused a lot of litigation issues where you don't have that with the ICO because it's on the blockchain and it's if you own the private key you own that item so you can't say mm-hmm. uh, or pretend how much is being issued out and when and it's happened a few times when uh, a particular ICO issues more coins out or more tokens out beyond the initial offering then people dump because they were like well when I got in it was agreed upon there will only be you know uh, 50 million tokens ocean now you're doubling it that's you know possibly yeah. diluting my investment mm-hmm. and interest and that's kind of shady to me or they find out that stuff has been pre-mined and, and stuff like that but i think because of icos people are getting back to the realization of what actual ownership is mm-hmm. and they're not the whole you know as he's saying the synthetic and all that stuff um People realize what everyone's been saying for years is bullshit. It's meaningless. Well, now you have some meaning. You have some ownership and you can either choose to stick it out or dump it as soon as it makes whatever profit or do whatever you you like with it. But at least for the moment, for the individual investors or group of investors, they actually have a say. Definitely preaching to the choir on that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and you got to be careful with some of that stuff though because it's just because it's a token that was issued or is ERC-20 they said it was an ERC-20 standard doesn't mean it necessarily was it doesn't mean you can't issue more tokens you, know, you can create contracts where you can 
you know, yeah. there's a certain address that can issue as many tokens as they want. So it comes but down that, to that's an issue for people. It's an issue for me for some cases where, yeah. uh, like, I had storage. Well, storage started off a of, off of Bitcoin and then it switched to Ethereum, mm-hmm. and it had to do a whole different thing. Where now, because of the changing in the law, where now I could potentially own a commodity or a stock, or it, it changed in mind the nature of my ownership. Versus before, it was kind of a token. And it was in this kind of gray area bit of a deal. But now with the way the SEC and FTC are looking at uh, Ethereum, or at least at the time when they were doing this, it was a potential tax liability. So I think there there is something to say when people um, say they're going to do something in the very initial beginning and then they issue more. I think that that has some meaning, at least in this space it does. Versus like in the traditional stock market where you, oh, you always want to issue more stocks. Where now where people are like, well, maybe it's not. It's well, not it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's it's trust. It's auditability, mm-hmm. you know, for you. I Ideally, if everything's done on a, on a um, public ledger, the, mm-hmm. all the code and actions can be audited. But, you know, stocks, you know, uh, companies issue new stock and they do stock buybacks all the time. Um, the issue comes down to, you know, the 2,700 layers beyond that where you're saying, you know, they're saying things, they're doing something, but then there's all this stuff that you can't go independently verify um, these different entities that have the rights to, you know, say that they have X number of shares. Um, I forget exactly the company. I think you're it's a pretty common case that you're referencing. They're trying to, someone went bankrupt or whatever, and then all the counterparties came and said they had X number of stock, but it was like 40% more stock than should have existed. And no one knew who actually had what, because everything's done on these delays. And they're just like, oh, damn. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) That's bad news bears. So um, just not to derail the conversation, but Hiroja, Hiroja, you may laugh at this. Um, I just realized that you're the same Hiroja from Twitter. Yes. So I actually have thought that the Hiroja that you are in Slack is a dude for the last <laughs> two years. So That's fine. I was really shocked when I heard your voice. I was like, whoa, I thought Hiroja was a dude. Hiroja's not a dude. Hiroja is no. Hiroja from Twitter. So, um, well, thank you for joining. I'm glad we finally held this at a time where we get more people. Mark, what you, you're hanging out there. Are you going to talk or are you just listening? Uh, at the moment, I'm just listening. It's not just, something I know. I don't just know. listening? Okay. Um, but, I mean, so to, to the first talking point, decentralization of entry points is what I'm settling on. And, oh, wait, no, the last time I settled on something, it was called the bottom last week. And that didn't work out. No, it kind of is working out. Is it? I don't know. Yeah, don't yeah you, we, you did good. Thirty-one. 20 or whatever you're good sweet i think the lowest i called was 2700 so if it goes below that i'm full of shit but if it doesn't you can subscribe to my trading group for 200 dollars a week one dollar if the price is right rules yeah <laughs> um what going under zero dollars mark did you want to did you have any talking points or you're strictly listen I noticed that you guys mentioned on the Slack that you were going to talk about the uh, Ethereum Constantinople upgrade. Yes, I'd love to. Um, so it's here, and they say it's working great. So has anybody followed this to the point where they know how it works 
um damn this is when i wish i had a bat signal for petty for because <laughs> i know he knows exactly the technique the uh, technically how this transition is going to work but constantinople is here um cello can you do me a solid real quick yo can you be the guy that's like on rogan's show that usually like he's like over in the corner googling shit Oh, Jamie, you want, me, you want me to pull something up? Can you be? Can you pull a Jamie real quick? Yeah, and I'll do my best, Rogan. Hey, Jamie, can you get uh, get something up there on that? Get something up there on that um, Constantinople fork real quick, so we can. Const- how Rogan talks because he's kind of high and drunk at the same time every episode. It's like, what is it? Four? Huh? You said Constantinople fork. Fork the fork. Constantinople fork. Uh, I know. About Constantinople. This? Constantinople. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Long story short, it happened. Yes. Uh, happened two days ago. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of different EIPs that they incorporated the Ethereum improvement yeah. uh, proposals. Uh, the one that I'm most interested in as a kind of hobbyist miner is the block reward reduction from three to two. So if it goes from three to two, that means we're making ETH a little bit more deflationary, right? Yes. So essentially that's like a halving, but it's not as a thirding. Yeah. yeah. It's a third. I think they're calling it the thirdening or something like that. <laughs> that makes sense. So is okay. this going to give way to dApps and smart contracts now? Is that why this is exciting? Yes, this is supposed to be. Then it's the first transition to the, the proof of stake. Oh, I think it's just laying, laying a little groundwork. Um, I know there are some improvements for kind of upgrading smart contracts. Uh, I've been following the, the DeFi, the decentralized finance group, pretty closely. Been in, been in their chat with those guys, and there are there's some excitement that there's tools that make it easier to manage smart contracts, making changes, um, upgrading, etc. cetera. Uh, the create two thing, I'm, I'm not a, as technical into it, um, but there's also a lot of concern on their end that there's more stuff that could be uh, misused or not necessarily used nefariously, but people not knowing all the potential pitfalls. So just interesting, you know, that people want more functionality and with that comes more complexity, and with that comes more potential issues. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what people can do with it. So will this stop people from being able to kill a contract with a single command line? No idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't think there's an EIP for, for stopping a kill switch like that, no. Yeah. Because that's been happening with some of these contracts is there, you know, there's that big one that happened with the kill switch, but there's been other contracts that have the same bug or flaw that they haven't fixed. And it's just it's mind boggling to me that that is still Exists. an issue. It exists and it's still an issue. <laughs> there's a lot of things about um, crypto that are mind boggling to me and still exist, but... I mean, we still have a very long way to go. Um, I don't think crypto and and the whole way crypto works, the fact that we have forks, the fact that you have to have consensus, the fact that you have to basically convince others to go along with you or have them see the merits of your argument. And it, it helps encourage a somewhat of a buyer beware, but more of 
an educated consumer is a really, really powerful consumer. So mm -hmm. the smart contracts are available for people to inspect. And, you know, yes, if there's a bug, it, it should be fixed, but everyone needs to, to agree to fix it. And otherwise, another system needs to be used. So the great thing about, and you talked about decentralization as the first talk, talking point, there's so many things that were decentralized, and one of them was the, the, the decision-making. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. I've noticed that, too. Um, I just asked the question, um, I think it was in last week's talking points, but we never, no, 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 we had an interview. Um, and I just asked the, the interview that we're going to actually cut for just a second to go to. Um, I asked him, like, is Vitalik going to go the same way as Satoshi, where he's kind of like less relevant? Not really. I mean, there's going to be always going to be some people that are just like, oh, I got Satoshi is my god. But then like other people are like, eh, Satoshi's kind of fading with time. His, his relevance is anyways. I think Vitalik could go that way. Especially now, because he doesn't seem to talk as much as he did in like 2017, 2016. That that's being decentralized. This man just put the book of Satoshi up in the screen. <laughs> he says, "How dare ye say anything bad about Satoshi?" Um, so that is something that could be decentralized from this crash. Is that there's more? There's different people making decisions that matter, but. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the decision making for Ethereum specifically has been taken over more by, um, or the, I guess the leaders of discussions are the businesses. So you have like Parity, you've got mm -hmm. Consensus, you've got the Maker, uh, MakerDAO guys uh, that are driving a lot of that. Like, so I, yeah, I think you see Vitalik doing all this kind of fun, weird stuff on the side and kind of like weighing in when he has to. But then mm -hmm. the nitty gritty of pushing things forward is kind of. Uh, I think more the the businesses now. We should figure out the the best decision making businesses and then give them some sort of name like the the Knights, the Knights Templar, something real goofy and nerdy. Like what would the you Knights call them? Tethar. The Knights. The Knights what? Tethar. Ted. What's tether. that? The USDT. Oh. The Knights. The Knights Tether. The Knights. The Knights of the Rhombus Table or whatever that shape is. Ethereum is. <laughs> It is a tetrahedron, right? <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's a tetrahedron. Yeah. This guy maths. There you go. Nice. <laughs> um, so, Mark, I found a nice infographic here because I, like most humans, like picture books. And it says, so here we got EIP-145. Uh, this is all coming with the Constantinople, not the Constantinople, <laughs> but the Constantinople uh, fork. So it, the block number was seven million eighty thousand. Uh, the estimated launch date was January sixteenth, but that's not right. It's we know it's just now. So this must be an old infographic. But since well, EIP one back, yeah, huh? Yeah, it's been pushed back to a couple days ago. Yeah, so EIP one forty five introduces bitwise shifting instructions, reducing the cost of shifts in smart contracts by ten x. So ten x less gas to do cool shit. EIP-1052 allows smart contracts to verify one another by pulling just the hash of the other smart contract instead of the whole code. Ooh, that's juicy. Uh, EIP-1014 um, enables more effective execution of state channels, which allow off-chain transactions, which is scaling. That's But I see how that's the smallest triangle. Nice. Oh, here's a link for you guys in the call so you can see what I'm kind of taking this from. 
And if you want to be in the call, you should join the Slack. Uh, yeah. EIP-1283 reduces the gas costs for the S-Store operation. Um, I appreciate sure that's to do with IPFS, but call it Corey could verify that. Block reward adjustment. This is EIP-1234. It does two things. Um, well, really three things. It submits unoriginal names. But then the two things it does, block reward adjustment reduces the block rewards. for my. That's the one you were talking about, Mark. Yeah. The bomb. The difficulty bomb. Yeah, um, POS stuff there. Oh, this is delaying the difficulty bomb. The thirdening F supply, new F before the thirdening, uh, inflation reduction, and yeah, that's about it in a nutshell. I'm excited about the the bitwise and the faster smart contracts verification. That's juicy. So Yeah. Um the pr it's not reflected in the price though. I guess the price reflected it by ju it jumping to like 180 and then it just dropped through the drop. What what does eat that right now? 135ish. Thanks for Jesse. 133.98. Yeah, I mean people knew it was going to happen. It's not like a oh, oh it's happening yeah. quick go up. I mean everything was priced in. No doubt, no doubt. So, Cello, we were talking like right before we hit record and there's something <laughs> You got a t you you got a tweet like by Andreas, which is like, you know, that to me would be like getting a fist bump from Jay Z. Like there was a uh, with a cold shoulder from Vitalik. Yeah. Oh yeah, Vitalik <laughs> would have nothing to do with that tweet. But I want to kind of go through that. And you mentioned something that you think is kind of important to the space. The space needs to hear it. Uh, I don't know, especially because there's a female right now listening. I don't know how they feel about that. Well, that's uh, not a great way to talk about, like, that's not a great lead in, my man. You this might. this is one of those remarks where I feel comfortable saying in front of a group of guys because I don't know I don't know yet how females feel about it. But, like, Andreas... Twitter just only has guys in it? <laughs> well, I, I get to curate my own feed, so, like, you know, I, I add people that I know won't be offended. But Andreas liked it, so maybe he found some some knowledge in there. But he he brought to light that he went to a conference and they were encouraging booth babes to be out there in order to entice more male people. And of course, you know, you can look at that as misogynistic or chauvinistic or unnecessary even. Um, but I, I say, you know, the the booth babes, they have a they have a job, they have a purpose, and if you it doesn't take away from being an intelligent fully clothed woman in blockchain space if you if you feel like that takes away from the validity of your mind i i don't see that connection i think that there are no deterrents away from women who want to be in the space i don't think that we take you any less seriously because there's a, a another side of of the working class and I, I just i don't see the connection and i see a lot of uproar about it at, at conventions and conferences and the space in general that we have an inclusion problem or we have a diversity problem. There's not enough uh, Hispanics and blacks in tech. And it's just a lot of people like to complain about it, but wh what is the action plan? What are we doing? Uh, where's the meaningful, impactful action that, that comes along with the awareness? Well, the I first just don't thing see we need it. to do is have after party, uh, like happy hours at strip clubs. That's the first thing we need to do, because I feel like that's the most inclusive environment. Uh, and, you know, everybody has a voice there. <laughs> no, like, these are all good points you bring up, Chelo. Like, where is the actual plan? But I think that um, 
But wait, the 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 I think the important part of your tweet was that that like, hey, why are we focusing on that stuff and not focusing on the real problems, right? And that that's probably what. Well, because they just they just pile on the concerns, like, you know, like uh, oh, there's too many bad actors and there's not enough this, not enough that, and like one one problem at a time, you know, it's overwhelming. What do we what do we focus on? What is more important? Do is getting rid of the greedy people in ICOs important? Is letting more black people in the space important? Is is uh, uh, Ethereum 2.0 and and not is letting, that more important? But getting- and, is the lightning network more important or should we get rid of booth babes more important? Like it, it's just, it's so scatterbrained and people take offense to different things and then they focus on that. And there needs to be a more uh, hive mindedness and a uniformed mindset to actually make progress. Do you think that maybe you got caught in some Twitter noise and you just like had a like venting session, but you tweeted your vent? It's just it's garbage. We're t- uh, like Bitcoin's been around for ten years, and we're still talking about booth babes. Like, who cares? Like, well, I mean, in the defense of that, though, you wouldn't want to go to like uh, you wouldn't want to go to a, sec- a professional a, a conference for professional security like security professionals. Wayne, I think you do that right, like or somebody in here. Do- I think no, Ray, Ray, he wouldn't want to go to a conference for security professionals, right? And there would be strippers. Why not? There. Why? Why? If you put strippers <laughs> in any scenario, how is that bad? Unless yeah, you're, that's, unless that's you're viewing it from right. There's it's an extreme example. Strippers. But people like to look at it like, oh well, you know, we don't need that, or they're pandering to an all male audience. Booth babes. Booth babes aren't strippers. You're right, Wayne. I'll pull that back. I'll reel that back. But booth. So babes. If, if you go to so and may, maybe you talked to Ray about this in the past, but if you go to Black Hat. Or, I mean, so Black Hat is one of the most highest, most well-attended commercial-level security conferences, as opposed to DEF CON, which is, you know, bare bones, you pay a couple hundred dollars in cash, and you, and you do a lot of stuff peer-to-peer. You go to Black Hat, and every third booth has a, you know, obviously paid spokesperson who is very good at repeating things that are put in their ear. They have a you know, headset on and they are, you know, spouting the, mm. the message of the company. And it's but because it's on a tape that's in their ear and they're, they're very good at speaking like they're not being coached and they are incredibly attractive. Is there, and is there not? That's what happens all over the place. And if you go to RSA, it's the same way. It's if you go to most of the conferences, there's 95% men and the marketing budgets go towards how do we get people into our booth? We either give away something, we have a magic act, we've got uh, you know some sort of gadget, uh, or we've got booth babes, or the more successful ones use all of those, and they schedule them throughout the two or three days. Leave the all magicians the out of this, Wayne. What's that? I said leave the magicians out of this. Yeah. Oh, no, the magicians were the best part, because then it's just en- enjoyable. Hmm. Our company hired a magician, and we get, we got the most people there because they're funny. They tell the message during their act, and people are enjoying it. Hmm. Okay, so that so now I'm in your camp, Cello. They're like, it's not that big of a deal, and people are making it into a big deal because if it exists in, go ahead, Cello, you're about to get your talk on. No, I, I think people look at it from, man, it's hard enough being a female in the space. Now it's just. Now I have to compete with booth babes and people aren't 
they're not recognizing my mind first. And I just like, I, if I go to a, a car show and I'm a female mechanic, you never see them become sensitive when there's a girl on the hood posing with trophies. Like they recognize that there's a separation. Like that is a girl who's excelling in her modeling career. I'm a mechanic and I like cars and there's no threat level. But with blockchain, there just doesn't seem to be any separation. Like females, they they just want to be seen as respected. Like I went to college. I, I know what blockchain technology is. And the fact that this woman is scantily clad is is an insult to my intelligence. And I'm not really seeing the connections. Can I can I push back on this? Yeah. Please, please do. <laughs> okay. So I don't think that's an issue. I think it's just kind of Twitter noise back. But what I do think is an issue that's not being addressed is that they're blockchain these conferences while they seem large to us overall in the uh, technology space or conference space are, is still relatively small is that there's a lot of marketing being spent on some of these extraneous things like the parties and the boats and stuff like that and not enough on getting great speakers to these conferences to uh address the different issues or the different talks within the space itself. It there seems to be less of that occurring with a lot of these conferences. Mm-hmm. And me personally with the issue with the whole booth babe stuff like that is why couldn't you spend a little bit more on bringing more speakers? That's all. That and the, cool. even with all the marketing and then the parties and stuff like that, it's like, like the last one, the not this current Miami conference, but the, the, the last big one where everyone went to before the, the bubble pop. It's like, if you guys spent more effort in bringing maybe security consultants, bringing in more uh, actual people there instead of going to a party boat, I think the space would have benefited greatly. I think it's a little too early to be having the parties. If you look at a lot of like early industry conferences it took years for them to have like the babe booths and the parties and stuff like that a lot of it was just grinding and getting the tech the getting the knowledge out and conferencing one another and a lot of that was very early in the space and then there was like a shift as soon as the price began to rise around i would say 2016 2017 and it, it seems not enough of the work is going back into the space i think, I think it depends on yeah so I, I, from my perspective, I think it's like, what is the supposed point of the conference? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's maybe where Andreas is coming from. Like, you look at, mm-hmm. was it uh, DevCon? Is that the Ethereum one that was in Prague? It seemed like it was just, just a whole crap load of deep dives and you know, yeah. going through all these projects and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. And it seemed very productive. Um, but yeah. then there's a whole bunch of other conferences. Like, I've been to two crypto conferences now, and they were fine. I found most of the talks were kind of useless. Mm-hmm. Um, the networking was generally pretty good. Um, but if I'm someone like Andreas who has limited time and has a big shadow, like you want to go where you're going to have the most impact on the mm-hmm. space. So from him, it might've been like, it's like, Oh, I was going to go to this conference, but like, Oh, it's one of those conferences where yeah. the goal oh. of the conference is to get people in so that they can hold the next conference. Yeah. And these people come through and cycle. And, you know, there's still probably good stuff going, you know, happening. But it's probably the good stuff is the the networking and maybe talking to other people. But maybe the content isn't that great. Maybe the projects that are there aren't that great. But it's like it's just like a different tier. It's a different 
goal and for from his end being he just wants to go where he's going to have the impact on the space and that's not that kind of conference i th- i think we haven't earned the booth babes yet honestly personally i don't think we have <laughs> <Yeah>. we just <laughs> have it that's we have it the quote you- of the show right there <laughs> yes we, we just have it we, we need to have more of these devcon conferences and lay down the groundwork and the networking so we can have places where you can go and see the next you know casino type display uh seeing the next you know whatever lightning network integration or the next big thing happening and it doesn't seem enough of these conferences are focused on that if you look like during the whole ico craze there was a lot of these party kind of conferences going on and it was just like suckering people into maybe some stuff that they probably shouldn't have been suckered into if the the conferences were built to more of an educational purpose to where they would be a little bit more informed, a little bit more educating of the populace, a little bit educated of the investor, and they realize, yeah, that ICCO sounds nice, but all you have is a paper. Where's the actual product? Where's the code? Where's the GitHub? Where's, you know, asking the right type of questions? Mm-hmm. And I think it was a lot of a mirage and a lot of look at here, look at this, look at this fancy thing, and not enough of actually looking at the actual real thing. I am still stuck on that amazing quotable. Sorry. But um, yes, you're absolutely right. Like it uh, we kind of put the cart before the horse. I think that's a good saying mm-hmm. to throw here. And um hell, we don't even have horses. We're we're still in donkey mode, I think. We're we definitely don't deserve even horses, but um I'm glad that like well, I'm glad that I don't I don't know. I'm still kind of in Cello's camp like it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but I do agree that maybe we don't deserve them. We don't. Yeah. We don't deserve them. Our I think maybe the angle that you sh- held in a Marriott. Yeah. You know, yeah. the- <laughs> on a and different the- t- like booth. I guess booth bros. Would that that wouldn't be a that was that wouldn't be a draw at all? I was thinking. I was thinking that too. Like if I was at a conference <laughs> and there were like Chippendale dancers, I I would be like. Mm. I don't well, like if they brought in eighty percent women to that conference, you might think differently. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, if I was at a conference where there was like ninety, eighty percent women or something, and they were so they were pandering to that crowd, and I was on the lower end of the percentage. As someone who's lived in Vegas and been to different conferences, when it's a heavily female conference, they do the same thing. They they Word. have them there. Oh yeah. shit! We solved the we solved it right here on this show, guys. We we need to get women in blockchain. We need. <laughs> Half naked bros dancing at these conferences. <laughs> Shit, we just yeah, maybe that's what Andreas was talking about. <laughs> maybe that's yeah. equal opportunity for everybody. Damn, that's the golden bullet. Like, oh man, take your shirt off, Vitalik. Let's bring yeah. the ladies in. All right, so how I, do we, so Dimitri? I, huh? I would like to point out that there still are plenty of conferences that don't cater to the hey, look, everybody, we're going to have a debate and we're going to have drama and we're going to have babes and we're going to have, you know, yachts and we're going to have, you know, champagne. You know, there's plenty of conferences like that and they don't make money. They don't sustain themselves. At least they haven't so far. And so just like the saying, we get the government we deserve, we get the blockchain conferences we deserve. If, if we're not attending and patronizing the the conferences that cater to that kind of uh, ethic, for lack of a better term, then we're not going to get them. And the idealistic of us, which are on this call and probably listening to this podcast, we can want that all we want, but 
the baser instincts are going to win out. I'm going to push back on it. As someone who's been around organizations and, and organized, you know, people that do that, you have to start small. You have to do the work. And yes, you, you're not going to be profitable the first, maybe first few years of doing this. But you expand and build a brand. You build a, this is the place to go, like DevCon, where you're, everyone's coming here and they're just doing the work. They're not really for the distractions. And there may be some distractions there, but they're really there to do like the tech, tech heavy stuff. Um, you, you start out small. If you go into like a big conference, like putting yourself at the, I don't know, where, where did consensus happen in New York? Going right there first off the bat and being tech centric, then mm-hmm. you're not going to, you're not going to win. But if you go somewhere smaller then and then build from out to eventually you're going to be the consensus at the consensus location in New York because everyone knows that's where you're going to be. I'm pretty sure DevCon, um, I would imagine three years from now, is not going to be in some place like Frog. It's going to be somewhere where it's a much accessible place for a lot more people to come to. It is going to be much larger um, because it's built the reputation of being a place to be to actually get the knowledge base for Ethereum. But it's just going to take time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure even DevCom itself is probably not that profitable. It probably maybe just barely broke even. Break even point's not bad, though. No. Break even point is, is a good thing because it gives you jumping off point. Um, but what's your motivation? What, what's the motivation for anyone to go out and break even? I mean, just realistically. I mean, if you if you follow your passion, you'll do stuff regardless. But if if you don't get rewarded or if you don't get incentivized then it's it turns into well you need to do this and eventually the the incentivization is existence the the Mm -hmm. the location the conference exists that's the incentivization it's for it to exist and profit will eventually come there's a lot of conferences there's a lot of places where they break even or they barely make enough money but they do it the following year simply because it's important for that particular Mm -hmm. conference to exist that gathering place for people and if, if it becomes popular and some of them do it takes decades for them to be popular look at freaking comic-con comic-con barely broke even a lot of years or lost money it mm-hmm. took a very long time for it to become the place that it is and what somebody's dogs on the loose we got a dog that doesn't respect podcasting and we're gonna need to shut the hell up <laughs> well, she makes a very good point, and uh, it's always good to have different perspective, for sure. I completely yeah. agree with the point, too. I, I, it sounds like I'm arguing, and I don't mean to. Yeah. The I think the like Comic Con and like those conferences where, if you've ever listened to the speaker Simon Sinek, he has a book called Start with Why, and when you listen to him, you realize that when people who go from the reason why they do it instead of what they do or how they do it, then they get people to follow them. And blockchain, um, Andreas is somebody who he has his why. He has why he does it. And the how and the what doesn't matter anymore. It's like, I don't care what. I don't care how. I believe in your why. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm going Mm -hmm. to applaud you. I'm going to attend you. Um, And then everything else seems to just be you know, yeah. uh, background noise. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's we live by that because uh, the only way you can podcast through a long bear market is if your why has nothing to do with getting rich. And I think me and D and Corey established our why like really early on, mm-hmm. and it's helped us really progress through this uh, this media tornado. You know what's funny is I was just thinking about that like our why has evolved like it was just us three talking about bitcoin because that's what we want to do like why do we want to make a podcast so us three friends can get together three guys can get together and talk about crypto and now it's evolved four years later like we've invited other people into the same circle to get together and talk about crypto um yeah. so the why stays the same and the just and the how and change oh it's that time. So we got we got to wrap up. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, thank you, Hiroja. Thank you, JT. You stopped by. Uh, thank you, Mark. You stopped by. Some other people stopped by to listen. If you want to get in on this, you can join the Slack at thebitcoinpodcast.com. Push the button that says Slack and follow the instructions. If you can't do that, you probably don't deserve to be in here. Like That's easy to do. You probably um, bought Ripple this week. Yep. Yeah. That's what <laughs> um, so uh, let's see here. It's all good. Dogs, dogs happen. Cello has dogs and Corey has dog. Um, let's see. We have a book. So in just so shortly, uh, we're going to bring interviews back. We stopped interviewing people. And Cello, you were like pretty frank in the slack about it. You were like, yeah, we just got, got tired of it. Like, <laughs> I didn't think you would say that as the reason, but I mean, it was kind of true. There's there's almost no one in crypto that's worth talking to we haven't talked to, uh, but we realize things are changing and we need to bring that back, right? So we are going to do interviews again. Uh, we have one on we have one uh, in the pipeline. We have others that we're scheduling out. Um, but here's the here's the catch. Here's where we got here's here's the catch. You got to be a, a patron, right? Uh, I'm going to talk about the book, but I'm going to talk about the Patreon first, right? So, oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't instructing you. I was just. I had it in my hands, and I was just oh, showing okay. the camera. I don't know why. Well, no we one's don't, watching. We don't stream, so I, I know. know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing like Wayne. Sometimes you just want to rub your book. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to rub your your Bitcoin podcast book. Um, so um, yeah, go to Patreon, look at the Bitcoin Podcast Network, and you can become a patron. Uh, we have the tiers over there. Some of them are, are absurd because I looked at other people's Patreon. And I was like, these tiers are ridiculous. Why would anyone pay this much money? Might as well join the club. So we have some stupid tiers on there. <laughs> but um, you will only get access to the interviews uh, when we put that episode on the Patreon, right? And our Patreon set up so that you only get charged if we release premium content that month, right? Uh- so it's our way to hold ourselves accountable to getting out these pe- getting these people back to the show and and getting the interviews that you want to hear. Um, I'm even going to go as far as to get a pomp on the show, Cello. Mm. Is is um, your Patreon on your website? I don't see it. It no. is not because we took it off of the website because last year we went to build it up, but then we uh, all three got uh, taken away from Patreon as a way to build up. But like now, I think we could really try and build one up so so tell um, people again how to get there since that needs to be super to easy and no friction the patreon.com slash the bitcoin podcast it's under construction we'll we'll get it going yeah we'll put it in the show notes there 
Uh, we're really trying to build that up now as we build up the community. I mean, you see how things are growing this year. This is our general talent. Um, the, of course, the book, if you go to the BitcoinPodcast.com, uh, you could just click on that big book and it'll take you to Amazon. You could buy the book there. Um, Cello, we don't have it anywhere else, really, to get it. Mm -hmm. right? It's just Amazon where we're going. And there's also you can get the digital copy for like two dollars. Um, the digital copy is just as fun to read as the regular copy, but you probably want to buy both because you're awesome and you love us. So you can have it on your, um, you can have it on your Kindle or your Nook. Who uses a Nook? That's like this. I bet you the same person who has a Nook has a Zune. That's a. <laughs> um. Anyways, let's wrap it up. Um. Play. Oh, shout out to. Uh, I got her name wrong. Zatsi. Her name is Zatsi Beats. Oh, snap. Zatsi Beats. Zoe the disrespect. And uh, Carla Lewis. Uh, play the outro.